Chapter 32 of The Quest of the Silver Fleece. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Quest of the Silver Fleece by W. E. B. DuBose. Chapter 32 Zora's Way. Zora was looking on her world with the keener vision of one who, blind from very seeing, closes the eyes a space and looks again with wider, clearer vision. Out of a nebulous cloudland she seemed to step, a land where all things floated in strange confusion, but where one thing stood steadfast, and that was love. When love was shaken, all things moved, but now, at last, for the first time, she seemed to know the real and mighty world that stood behind that old and shaken dream. So she looked on the world about her with new eyes. These men and women of her childhood had hitherto walked by her like shadows. Today they lived for her in flesh and blood. She saw hundreds and thousands of black men and women, crushed, half-spirited, and blind. She saw how high and clear a light Sarah Smith for thirty years and more, had carried before them. She saw, too, how that light had not simply shone in darkness, but had lighted answering beacons here and there in these dull souls. There were thoughts and vague stirrings of unrest in the mass of black folk. They talked long about their firesides, and here Zora began to sit and listen, often speaking a word herself. All through the countryside she flitted, till gradually the black folk came to know her, and in silent deference to some subtle difference, they gave her the title of white folk, calling her Miss Zora. Today, more than ever before, Zora sensed the vast, unorganized power in this mass, and her mind was leaping here and there, scheming and testing, when voices arrested her. It was a desolate bit of the Cresswell Manor, a tiny cabin, new-boarded and bare, in front of it a blazing bonfire. A white man was tossing into the flames different household articles, a feather bed, a bedstead, two rickety chairs. A young, boyish fellow, golden-faced and curly, stood with clenched fists, while a woman with tear-stained eyes clung to him. The white man raised a cradle to dash it into the flames. The woman cried, and the yellow man raised his arm threateningly. But Zora's hand was on his shoulder. "'What's the matter, Rob?' she asked. "'They're selling us out,' he muttered savagely. "'Millie's been sick since the last baby died, and I had to neglect my crop to tend her and the other little ones. I didn't make much. They took my mule and now they're burning my things to make me sign a contract and be a slave. But by... There, Rob, let Millie come with me. We'll see Miss Smith. We must get land to rent and arrange somehow. The mother sobbed. The cradle was baby's. With an oath, the white man dashed the cradle into the fire, and the red flames spurted aloft. The crimson fire flashed in Zora's eyes as she passed the overseer. "'Well, nigger, what are you going to do about it?' he growled insolently. Zora's eyelids drooped. 
Her upper lip quivered. Nothing, she answered softly. But I hope your soul will burn in hell forever and forever. They proceeded down the plantation road, but Zora could not speak. She pushed them slowly on and turned aside to let the anger, the impotent, futile anger, rage itself out. Alone in the great, broad spaces, she knew she could fight it down and come back again, cool and in calm and deadly earnest, to lead these children to the light. The sorrow in her heart was new and strange, not sorrow for herself, for of that she had tasted the uttermost, but the vast vicarious suffering for the evil of the world, the tumult and war within her fled, and a sense of helplessness sent the hot tears streaming down her cheeks. She longed for rest, but the last plantation was yet to be passed. Far off she heard the yodel of the gangs of peons. She hesitated, looking for some way of escape. If she passed them, she would see something, she always saw something, that would send the red blood whirling madly. Here you, loafing again, damn you. She saw the black whip writhe and curl across the shoulders of the plowboy. The boy crouched and snarled, and again the whip hissed and cracked. Zora stood rigid and gray. My God, her silent soul was shrieking within. Why doesn't the coward? And then the coward did. The whip was whirring in the air again, but it never fell. A jagged stone in the boy's hand struck true, and the overseer plunged with a grunt into the black furrow. In blank dismay, Sora came back to her senses. Poor child, she gasped as she saw the boy flying in wild terror over the fields with hue and cry behind him. Poor child running to the penitentiary to shame and hunger and damnation. She remembered the rector in Mrs. Vanderpool's library and his question that revealed unfathomable depths of ignorance. Really now, how do you account for the distressing increase in crime among your people? She swung into the great road, trembling with the woe of the world in her eyes. Cruelty, poverty, and crime she had looked in the face that morning, and the hurt of it held her heart pinched and quivering. A moment the mists in her eyes shut out the shadows of the swamp, and the roaring in her ears made a silence of the world. Before she found herself again, she dimly saw a couple sauntering along the road, but she hardly noticed their white faces until the little voice of the girl, raised timidly, greeted her. Howdy, Zora. Zora looked. The girl was Emma, and beside her, smiling, stood a half-grown white man. It was Emma, Bertie's child, and yet it was not, for in the child of other days Zora saw for the first time the dawning woman, and she saw, too, the white man. Suddenly, the horror of the swamp was upon her. She swept between the couple like a gust, gripping the child's arm, till she paled and almost whimpered. I, I was just going on an errand for Miss Smith, she cried. Looking down into her soul, Zora discerned its innocence and the fright shining in the child's eyes. Her own eyes softened, her grip 
became a caress, but her heart was hard. The young man laughed awkwardly and strolled away. Zora looked back at him, and the paramount mission of her life formed itself in her mind. She would protect this girl. She would protect all black girls. She would make it possible for these poor beasts of burden to be decent in their toil. Out of protection of womanhood, as the central thought, she must build ramparts against cruelty, poverty, and crime. All this in turn, but now and first, the innocent girlhood of this daughter of shame must be rescued from the devil. It was her duty, her heritage. She must offer this unsullied soul up until God, in mighty atonement. But how? Here now was no protection. Already lustful eyes were in wait, and the child was too ignorant to protect herself. She must be sent to boarding school, somewhere far away. But the money! God, it was money, money, always money! Then she stopped suddenly, thrilled with the recollection of Mrs. Vanderpool's check. She dismissed the girl with a kiss, and stood still a moment, considering. Money to send Emma off to school, money to buy a school farm, money to buy tenants to live on it, money to furnish them rations, money. She went straight to Miss Smith. Miss Smith, how much money have you? Miss Smith's hand trembled a bit. Ah, that splendid strength of young womanhood, if only she herself had it. But perhaps Zora was the chosen one. She reached up and took down a well-worn book. Zora, she said slowly, I've been going to tell you ever since you came, but I hadn't the courage. Zora, Miss Smith hesitated and gripped the book with thin white fingers. I'm afraid I almost know that this school is doomed. There lay a silence in the room while the two women stared into each other's souls with startled eyes. Swallowing hard, Miss Smith spoke. When I thought the endowment sure, I mortgaged the school in order to buy Tolliver's land. The endowment failed, as you know, because, perhaps, I was too stubborn. But Zora's eyes snapped, no, and Miss Smith continued. I borrowed ten thousand dollars, then I tried to get the land, but Tolliver kept putting me off, and finally I learned that Colonel Cresswell had bought it. It seems that Tolliver got caught tight in the cotton corner, and that Cresswell, through John Taylor, offered him twice what he had agreed to sell to me for, and he took it. I don't suppose Taylor knew what he was doing. I hope he didn't. Well, there I was, with ten thousand dollars idle on my hands, paying ten percent on it, and getting less than three percent. I tried to get the bank to take the money back, but they refused. Then I was tempted and fell. She paused, and Zora took both her hands in her own. You see, continued Miss Smith, just as soon as the announcement of the prospective endowment was sent broadcast by the press, the donations from the North fell off. Letter after letter came from old friends of the school, full of congratulations, but no money. I ought to have cut down the teaching force to the barest minimum, and gone North begging, but I couldn't. I guess my courage was gone. I knew how I'd have to explain and plead, and I just could not. So I used the ten thousand dollars to pay its own interest 
and help run the school. Already it's half gone, and when the rest goes, then will come the end. Without, the great red sun paused a moment over the edge of the swamp, and the long, low cry of night birds broke sadly on the twilight silence. Zora sat stroking the lined hands. Not the end, she spoke confidently. It cannot end like this. I got a little money that Mrs. Vanderpool gave me, and somehow we must get more. Perhaps I might go north and beg. She shivered. Then she sat up resolutely and turned to the book. Let's go over matters carefully, she proposed. Together they counted and calculated. The balance is $4,798, said Miss Smith. Yes, and then there's Mrs. Vanderpool's check. How much is that? Zora paused. She did not know. In her world, there was little calculation of money. Credit, and not cash, is the currency of the black belt. She had been pleased to receive the check, but she had not examined it. I really don't know, she presently confessed. I think it was one thousand dollars, but I was so hurried in leaving that I didn't look carefully, and the wild thought surged in her. Suppose it was more. She ran into the other room and plunged into her trunk, beneath the clothes, beneath the beauty of the silver fleece, till her fingers clutched and tore the envelope. A little choking cry burst from her throat. Her knees trembled so that she was obliged to sit down. In her fingers fluttered a check for $10,000. It was not until the next day that the two women were sufficiently composed to talk matters over sanely. "'What is your plan?' asked Zora. "'To put the money in a northern savings bank at 3% interest, to supply the rest of the interest and the deficit in the running expenses from our balance, and to send you north to beg.' Zora shook her head. It won't do, she objected. I make a poor beggar. I don't know human nature well enough, and I can't talk to rich white folks the way they expect us to talk. It wouldn't be hypocrisy, Zora. You would be serving in a great cause. If you don't go, I... Wait, you shan't go. If anyone goes, it must be me. But let's think it out. We pay off the mortgage. We get enough to run the school as it has been run. Then what? There will still be slavery and oppression all around us. The children will be kept in the cotton fields. The men will be cheated, and the women... Zora paused, and her eyes grew hard. She began again rapidly. We must have land, our own farm with our own tenants, to be the beginning of a free community. Miss Smith threw up her hands impatiently. But sakes alive, where, Zora? Where can we get land, with Cresswell owning every inch and bound to destroy us? Zora sat hugging her knees and staring out the window toward the somber ramparts of the swamp. In her eyes lay slumbering the madness of long ago. In her brain danced all the dreams and visions of childhood. I'm thinking, she murmured, of buying the swamp. End of chapter 32 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas